1208. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, so Eric, the, the, the real crisis with the naming of the sausage things. Yeah. Okay, is that Johnsonville doesn't make hot dogs. <laughs> no, I mean, and, and so, bum, I mean, bum, bum. Johnsonville does not make... I was yeah. kind of going through this yesterday, and they, they, they don't make hot dogs. Um, so the question becomes, is there still going to be you know, a hot dog among the racing sausage? Yeah. And the brewers say, yes, there will. And, and my, my understanding is they have solved this. Johnsonville's not going to say how they're going to do it, but apparently they're going to contract out. For, for somebody, yes. somebody will make hot yes. dogs that they will still continue to sell, and they'll be made theoretically under the Johnsonville brand. But mm-hmm. Johnson, you're not going to be able to go into a grocery store and buy Johnsonville hot dogs. Yeah, huh. see, this is a concern. I'm it glad will. it's all taken care of, all as well. It is well, but okay. See, see now, okay, you're you're an Ace News person. Okay, so now the question is, where are these hot dogs going to come from? I mean, who who? I mean, are the Johnsonville people like going to go out to the grocery store and buy a bunch of like other people's hot dogs or stuff? I'm just wondering. You know, it's you know where where are those hot dogs yep, going to yep, come yep. from? Oh, they're gonna they're they're gonna get them from a different place and they're gonna throw them in there at Miller Park all as well. Inquiring by inquiring, I want to know where the hot dogs are coming from, though. I mean, yeah, it's not just enough to buy the hot dog. I want to know where it's coming from. I'm just saying it sounds like something that some TV reporter that you know. Rather than going by the city salt pile, or next time it's going to snow, and saying, oh, they're putting salt in the salt trucks. Maybe they could be checking out where the hot dogs are going to come from. I digress. If you cannot tell, this is another one of these days where I'm in one of my moods. We start off with three big things. All right, story number one. It is not, in my opinion, fake news, but it underscores how people with an agenda who don't know what they're talking about can... I don't know, cry to create a stir where no stir exists. Big story number one, the breathless reports in the Washington Post and the New York Times about how last summer Donald Trump considered ordering the firing of special counsel Robert Mueller. All right, now let me just start off before I go into the story by saying the president of the United States can fire a special counsel, a special prosecutor, for any reason or no reason. He he has the authority to do that. Now, a lot of times, the reason why you wouldn't do something like that, why Bill Clinton didn't fire, you know, Kenneth Starr, is because it it ends up, if you do it, you have, uh, it just, your your political situation uh, becomes perhaps precarious, all right? So here is the breathless report in the New York Times. Let me read a portion of it. Trump ordered Mueller fired, but backed off when White House counsel threatened to quit. President Trump ordered the firing last June of Robert S. Mueller, the special counsel overseeing the Russia investigation, according to four people told of the matter, but ultimately backed down after the White House counsel threatened to resign rather than carry out the directive. The West Wing confrontation marks the first time Mr. Trump is known to have tried to fire the special counsel. Now, I, I, that doesn't make any sense because the president can, in fact, fire him. I mean, he, he doesn't have to try to fire somebody. If he wanted to fire him, he, he fires him. The West Wing confrontation marks the first time Mr. Trump is known to have tried to fire the special counsel. Mr. Mueller learned about the episode in recent months as his investigators interviewed current and former senior White House officials into his inquiry into whether the president obstructed justice gets better. Amid the first wave of news media reports that Mr. Mueller was examining a potential obstruction case, the president 
began to argue that Mr. Mueller had three conflicts of interest that disqualified him from overseeing the investigation, two of the people said. First, he claimed that a dispute years ago over fees at Trump National Golf Club in Sterling, Virginia, had prompted Mr. Mueller, the FBI director at the time, to resign his membership. The president also said Mr. Mueller could not be impartial because he had most recently worked for a law firm that previously represented the president's son-in-law, Jared Kushner. Finally, the president said Mr. Miller had been interviewed to return as the FBI director the day before he was appointed special counsel in May. So Trump said, now look, here's the bottom line. I'm sure President Trump, it's no secret, he was not happy that the special counsel was appointed in the first place. There's the stories that he was angry that the attorney general, Jeff Sessions, had, had gone this route. So okay, this story is he's saying that I, I don't want Miller, Miller there. He's got a conflict of interest. After receiving the president's order to fire Mr. Mueller, the White House counsel, Donald F. McGahn II, refused to ask the Justice Department to dismiss the special counsel, saying he would quit instead, the people said. They spoke on the condition of anonymity because they did not want to be identified discussing a continuing investigation. <laughs> Interesting. Let me just take a point here. They, they, they had no problem apparently discussing a continuing investigation, but they just didn't want to be identified discussing that. Hardly a profile in courage there. Um, Mr. McGahn, who is the uh, White House counsel, uh, disagreed with the president's case and told senior White House officials that firing Mr. Mueller would have a catastrophic effect on the Trump presidency. He told White House officials that if Mr. Trump would not follow through on the dismissal on his own, uh, he would he would quit. The president then backed off. Okay, so that that's the story. President Trump unhappy that you have this guy that's investigating him and unhappy in particular with the individual special counsel. He says, I think this guy's got various conflicts of interest. The White House counsel says, I, I disagree with you and I'm not going to fire him. I'm going to quit instead. Okay, and then upon considering it, Mr. Trump backs off. In other words, nothing to see here. So, I, 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 do I believe that story? You know, President Trump's out today saying, oh, more fake news than the New York Times. Do I believe the underlying story? Um, I guess. I mean, I, I have no reason to doubt it. He's angry. He doesn't like the fact that you got this special counsel that's poking around. He believes the special counsel has conflicts of interest. He says, fire the guy, and the White House counsel ultimately talks him out of it, and nothing happens. All right. So... What is the follow-up to this story? I have in my hands the way USA Today reports it. Now, let me give you some free legal advice from a covering lawyer. Don't, if you accept your analysis from people who write from for USA Today, well, you get what you deserve. <clears throat> Here's the story. Why Trump's desire to fire, fire Mueller may invite obstruction cases and why it's such a big deal. If This is the USA Today, just out. You can access this through the Journal Sentinel's website. If Russia special counsel Robert Mueller is indeed building a case of obstruction against President Trump, the president's thwarted attempt to fire the special counsel last year may have made Mueller's job much easier. His thwarted attempt. The, if the president wanted to fire the special counsel, he, he could fire the special counsel. Apparently, that's what he wanted to do, but his lawyer talked him out of it. That's a thwarted attempt. The piece continues. He 
Even though White House counsel Donald McGahn successfully headed off Trump's reported effort, Mueller could use the episode as evidence of Trump's intent to shield himself from possible legal jeopardy, analysts said. I'd like to see the crackerjack box that those analysts got their law licenses from. The New York Times and the Washington Post reported late Thursday that Trump ordered McGahn to fire Mueller in June, but McGahn refused and threatened to quit if the president insisted. The reports say Trump abandoned the idea. After that, Trump on Friday dismissed the report as fake news. Then they quote some supposed uh, expert, the hardest thing to prove and most obstructive cases is intent to obstruct explicit evidence of such an intent like actually ordering Mueller's firing is extremely valuable to the investigators the evidence will make it harder for Trump to argue that whatever he did was not because he was trying to obstruct our number 414-799-1620 that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line I don't know if this is fair to say it is fake news but this idea that the president of the United States, who can fire special counsel or special prosecutors for any reason or no reason, if he decides that he doesn't like the guy, if he decides that he thinks the guy has a conflict of interest, he has the right to fire him. And you want to talk about catch-22, the idea that, well, you have a right to fire him, but if you fire him because uh, – but if you do fire him, then it's obstruction of justice. Well, that would mean that you could effectively never really get rid of a special prosecutor. 414-799-1620. Look, I think it's good that somebody talked President Trump apparently off the ledge. And he decided not to go out and can Robert Mueller. I, I agree with the analysis that I think this would have been a political time bomb. People would have gone nuts. Maybe you would have had people talk about, well, is this a basis for impeachment or whatever? But this idea that he considered firing the special prosecutor is in and of itself evidence of a crime is crazy. The same people peddling this idea are the people that you see talking to themselves on park benches wearing tin foil hats. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And yet, in this anti-Trump world we live in, this is what is being portrayed. We've got the analysts saying he, he considered firing him. That's, that's evidence of intent to obstruct justice. I don't buy it, and I think the people who are pushing this are really showing their agenda. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And having said that, I think it's a good idea for a lot of reasons that the president just let the investigation continue. But the idea that, well, I thought about he thought about doing it and then he backed off, that means he clearly had intent to obstruct justice. That's nuts. 414-799-1620. This is big story number one. We discuss next. Is this is this the revelation that is going to bring down the Trump administration? I think not. We discuss. 414-799-1620. It's 1218. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1221, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The Olympic flame is making its way to South Korea in anticipation. Gene Miller takes a look at Wisconsin athletes to watch at this year's Winter Games. That happens at 610 Monday on Wisconsin's Morning News. I, I admit this stuff, this stuff just makes my head want to explode. I understand what obstruction of justice is. Obstruction of justice, if you destroy records in an attempt to hide something, that's obstruction of justice. If you encourage people to lie, you suborn perjury. All right, that that's obstruction of justice. I, I get it. 
But now you have this deranged news media that is so far out there in an attempt to get Donald Trump. Again, I, so you, you have this situation where, all right, imagine you are the president. You now have, you know, James Comey leaking stuff. You have Jeff Sessions, who he's upset with because he appoints a special counsel. You have this special counsel who is apparently going down this route on what the president believes is this phony Trump dossier that was kicked up, you know, was generated, all these reports that originally were generated um, from Democratic hatchet men. And so I have no doubt that the president is unhappy to this day and probably was unhappy last summer with Robert Mueller. So the president's... um, businessman he's looking said i think this guy's got conflict of interest i don't think Mueller should be the special counsel and this is what his conflict is this that or the other thing i think you should be fired go ahead and fire him and the white house counsel then says now i disagree with you and I, i'm not going to do it i think this would be disastrous for your presidency and i'd rather quit than do it and then they talk president trump off the ledge and he says fine the Mueller investigation continues and he's off there interviewing all sorts of people and now you have people in the mainstream media trying to peddle the idea that because he talked about thought about ordered the firing of the special counsel and then immediately rescinded that that is in fact obstruction of justice and i will tell you that is nuts it's just nuts to advocate that you know if he said oh my gosh we've got to go and get rid of all these records okay that would arguably be obstruction of justice but the idea that the president who can hire and fire who can fire the special counsel for any or no reason um, ordered the special counsel be fired and then changed his mind oh that's got to be evidence that he was trying to hide something that is a cockamamie theory being, again, bandied about by the people that hate the president. And my only advice to you, this is big story number one, don't get suckered in. I'm not, I'm not saying that the, the story itself is fake news. It appears that the story probably happened. I am saying that anybody who draws this conclusion, believing that, gee, that means he, he had this intent to obstruct the investigation. Well, again, like I was saying earlier, it's a catch-22. If you say, well, you can hire or fire the special counsel for any or no reason, but if you fire him, it's obstruction of justice, um, evidence of that, that then, then you can't ever fire him without committing a crime. It's a bizarre sort of analysis, and it's one of the reasons why I think people have to pay attention to where they get their news. Big story. Number two, it is it is a local one. Now, this is, of course, you know, we, we've had, you know, one story after another coming out of Milwaukee where, I mean, candidly, you have the crime problem, which is, you know, out of control. This is Milwaukee where you have an alderman who wants to introduce a resolution which would fine people for leaving cars running, warming up in their driveway while unlocked. You know, we talked about that yesterday. So your car gets stolen by somebody who comes up to your garage while your car is outside the garage warming up. They're on your property. You are going to get fined. That's what passes for thinking in Milwaukee. Well, I have in my hands the story. And this is, they're they're actually, this woman is proud of us, proud of it. Alderwoman Shantea Lewis announces that her shopping cart resolution that she introduced passed through the Milwaukee Public Safety Committee yesterday. The resolution will now move on to the Common Council for a full vote on February 6th. If passed, if passed, it would fine owners and residents 
who remove or allow for the removal of shopping carts on their premises. So if I've got a grocery store, I've got shopping carts that are there as a convenience for my customers, and somebody steals one, I would be fined. Fines would start at $50 a cart with a maximum penalty of up to $250 a year, depending on the number of carts retrieved. If the business, okay, so first of all, somebody steals my shopping cart, and this alder woman wants me to be fined for somebody stealing my shopping cart. What is next? If you have people who shoplift from your store, we're going to fine you. All right, it gets better. If the company, if the business, takes active measures to retrieve their own carts, they might not be fined. So somebody steals my shopping cart, I'm supposed to, what, chase them down the street, try to find them? The resolution also requires that companies providing 25 carts or more have anti-theft measures after 100 retrievals of abandoned carts by the Department of Public Works. So I'm the one that's got to spend what, 50 bucks, 75 bucks, 100 bucks on electronic retrieval devices because people are ripping me off. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is the same type of thinking that gave us this idiotic idea yesterday to find people for allowing their cars to run in their own driveways. Because, gee, you're making it easier for somebody to steal. In this particular case, they are specifically saying, business owner, you are being victimized. You have people that are stealing from you. If somebody steals that shopping cart, we will fine you. And if you've got more shopping carts, if you're a large place, we expect you to pay money to implement this anti-theft technology, which, by the way, oftentimes doesn't work and costs a bunch of money. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Blaming the victim never works. And yet that is precisely what they appear to be doing in Milwaukee as they throw up their hands saying, we can't stop car thefts. We can't stop crime. We can't stop people from stealing from stores. So here's what we'll do. We'll penalize the victims. 414-799-1620. I know we've talked about this before, but actually this measure advanced out of committee yesterday and now goes to the full common council. 414-799-1620. It's 1228. This is Jeff Wagner. We discuss next. 1235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is what the city of Milwaukee is essentially saying. Somebody steals your car. They abandoned the car in an alley on the other side of town after stripping it. And here's what we're going to do. We are going to fine you because we had to go and retrieve your car. That is precisely what this proposed shopping cart ordinance would do. Peter and Glendale. Peter, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Peter. I guess my only thought would be on both, like I said to the fellow picking the phone from the station, is both these people sponsoring both bills have just too much time on their hands. Yeah. I mean, both are absolutely stupid. And for the common council task, these just the common council needs a psychiatrist. Well, it, 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 it is. I mean, I'm trying to think of the message that this sends to the businesses who are being ripped off. They're the Now, look, it might make sense. Maybe they would say, hey, look, the problem is we never find these shopping carts, so maybe it makes sense to go and try to invest in this technology. I mean, there's some stores in Milwaukee that you have to actually even give a picture ID before they'll let you get a shopping cart. Boy, that, you know, who, who wants to shop at those places? But that's for the business. This is this council victimizing the victims. It's appalling. 
Yeah, but it goes a step further in, into the government needing to be in every aspect of our lives. We right. don't need it. Right. You know, so. Exactly. No, th- thanks for calling. I mean, I'll give you another example. This is like saying, okay, you put your trash out on the corner. Somebody comes along and steals your trash can. Why you would steal a trash can, I don't know. But they steal your trash can. They find the trash can a mile away. Uh, the trash is all over the alley or all over somebody's lawn. Here, we're going to fine you because somebody stole your trash can. And you would say, well, wait a sec. I, it's, I, I, I put my, I was doing what I was supposed to do. I put my trash can out there. No, no, no. You're going to be fined because somebody came along and we had to go pick it up. Well, what do you pay property taxes for? What do you pay taxes for in Tom Barrett's city of Milwaukee? We know you don't pay taxes to be safe because crime is out of control. We know you don't pay taxes to have smart leadership. We know you don't pay taxes to have safe water. And now you're going to be fined if you are a crime victim. Dean and Racine. Dean, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, hey, Jeff. Um, I'm in agreement that uh, this is driving the wrong behavior. Um, I I think partly where it's coming from uh, in terms of the car thing is that they've made it clear enough now that if you leave your car running, it's going to get uh, stolen. Yeah. So they're trying to get some buy-in from um, those that are homeowners and those that are renters to say, we've had so many calls responding to this so aggressively. Um we're going to start making this everybody's problem and not just and not just uh, the criminal's problem. I don't know that it's the right way to do it, but um, people kind of have to have some buy-in in order to fix the problem. Um, well, I mean, I see, and I guess I, I I really want to talk more about the shopping carts. Thanks for the call. Then then the car thing, and I, I mean, I understand there's a degree of buy-in, and, and I will be the first to acknowledge. And again, I resisted this whole thing for years. Um, that you get the community you're willing to get. And you have aldermen in the city of Milwaukee, not all, but many who don't care about crime. They don't care about the fact that, you know, that they see the bigger problem that a homeowner will leave his car running or her car running to warm up in their driveway than the fact that if you do that, your car is going to be stolen in two or three minutes. Now, I mean, I understand that's unfortunately it is it's dumb to do that around here, given that the level of crime is so out of control. But still, you want to talk about feel good type of stuff. It's that type of thing that let us punish the victim. But this shopping cart thing and again, targeting businesses, I I don't know sometimes if some of these aldermen have ever gotten out of their little bubble and realized how these types of things look. You know, I can, can you imagine going into a grocery store and, and having to show a photo ID or, again, you know, uh, the idea that here you got to put down a deposit before you can take out a cart? Those are the types of things that you're forcing people to do. I come at it from a whole different way. Why don't we catch the people that are stealing the crap and put them in jail and hold them accountable? Why don't we go after, and maybe this is just too simplistic, why don't we go after the people that are stealing the cars? Why don't we put them in jail? And I don't care if they're 14 years old or 54 or 74. The people that are doing it, let's hold the bad guys accountable instead of figuring out ways to punish the victim. Big story number three is coming up. If the president does it, he is a fool. 1240, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 1244, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, big story number three. If he does it, he is a fool. Back in the day, when I was a federal prosecutor, I thrived on people 
who thought they were smarter than me. And, and these, these people actually might have been smarter than me, but they, they, didn't, they didn't realize how the game was played. If you are a prosecutor, you love to find somebody that thinks that they are smarter than you and thinks that they can con you, and then they try to do it. And if you're really lucky, they try to do it under oath. I had a case once. I always remember this woman. Um, she was a teller who stole money from a bank. Bank tellers never, ever, ever go to trial because they're always caught red-handed. There is always a paper trail. They never go to trial. But this young woman um, decided that she wanted to go to trial because she thought she was smarter than everybody else. And it was, I'll never forget this, it was the week before Christmas. She showed up, part of the reason I I know this is that um, she went to high school with my late wife. This woman went to high school with my late wife. And it it was, 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 we were sitting there the weekend before the the case. And I said, I can't believe this so-and-so, this woman's going to go to trial. Bank robbers never go to trial. I've got her dead to rights. And my wife said, what's her name? And I said her name. And she said, what was her maiden name? And turns out she, she was, she went to high school with my wife. And so anyhow, she, she was caught dead to rights and how she was doing this. It, it was, she was, it had something to do with like, I, I'm going to say saving sponsor or something like that. But, but there was a paper trail. It was, it was relatively sophisticated. But what happens is at some point in time, you, you just kind of lose track. You know, you take money from one thing, you put the money in the other place to cover it up and then you keep doing it until finally it kind of all explodes and falls into itself so th- this lady i'll never forget she, she goes to trial she shows up at court and this is the week before christmas and she's she's dressed like the the catholic grade school girl you know I mean, literally i mean so it's like oh how would i steal and you know we present the case and i've got all the records and then she gets up on the witness stand and tellers not only do they never go to trial they they never they never testify because well you, you've got them dead to rights well she gets up on the witness stand and starts just kind of batting her eyes at the jury i would never do any of this and all right so then i start i never claim to be the greatest at cross-examination i i think that was perhaps one of my weaknesses it's one of the toughest things for lawyers to do but this one was easy because i've got all these records and and she I mean, she had to know I had all the records, but she had never reviewed this stuff. So, I mean, I've got all this stuff. I put it all together. She hasn't seen it for the two years since she started stealing. And then you just start in on her. you got the slide presentations, and you've got the things. Okay, and, and why exactly? That's your handwriting, right? Yes, it is. And, and why did you fill this out, right? And where's the corresponding, you know, document that goes along with this? Where was this? Well, I don't know where that was. And then three minutes later, why did you take this money out? And, and it just, and pretty soon, it kind of all falls apart and it took the jury literally 20 minutes to come back and find this woman guilty um tellers never go to jail but she went to jail because she got up on the witness stand and lied and i mean everybody in the courtroom knew she was lying and, and again i'm not the greatest to cross-examination but she decided to spar with a federal prosecutor who had all the records and knew where the, this was going and so it kind of all imploded. She would have been much better off, first of all, just taking a plea. But she would have been certainly much better off in at least just putting me to my proof and staying off the witness stand because she convicted herself when she got on the stand. That is why, as a general rule, attorneys tell people, you know, you, you never 
You just never talk because you don't know what the special prosecutor or what the prosecutor has. You don't know where they're going. And if you are a target or a defendant or whatever, you're almost never going to help yourself. Well, that's what I was thinking when I was reading the story the other day about, you know, President Trump. And I've said before, I, I still I still don't think I haven't seen any evidence that makes me suggest that there's any there there to this Russian collusion investigation. But yesterday, two days ago, President Trump comes out and says he is willing to speak under oath to Mueller. President Trump said on Wednesday that he was willing and eager to be interviewed, willing and eager to be interviewed by Robert S. Mueller III, the special counsel investigating Russia's interference in the presidential campaign, insisting he had done nothing wrong. I'm looking forward to it, actually, Mr. Trump said. Um, He said, here's the story, just so you understand. There's no collusion whatsoever. There's no obstruction whatsoever. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Mr. Trump suggested that his efforts to defend himself against damaging allegations had been unfairly misinterpreted as wrongdoing. He says, you fight back, and then they say it's obstruction. He has a, a point there. His lawyers have been negotiating for weeks with Mueller's team about the prospect of having answer questions in the inquiry, including what topics would be covered. Um, here, here's, here's the problem. If I were the attorney, and I don't care if I'm the attorney representing the president or I'm an attorney representing you, and you get called before, you get a a notice that some special prosecutor wants to talk to you, my advice is don't. I mean, don't talk unless, you know, unless they're going to give you a grant of immunity or something like that, because you don't know where they're going. You don't know what they're trying to do. And as we have seen before in this investigation, even if the underlying action was not criminal, if you misrepresent it or lie about it or give false statements about it, you know, you subject yourself to potential criminal charges. And I understand that President Trump thinks he's the greatest salesman ever. And President Trump, I think, seems to think that he can kind of bulldoze his way out of things and talk his way out of things. I think appearing before the special prosecutor under oath and answering just whatever questions were asked, I think that is incredibly risky, and I don't think any, 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 any attorney would encourage their client to do it. And if President Trump thinks that he's going to be able to bamboozle the special prosecutor, I think he needs as a second thing coming. And this comes from the perspective of somebody who doesn't necessarily, doesn't believe, at least right now, that there's any evidence of underlying collusion. I will tell you the worst thing that people can do, though, is think that they are smarter than whatever prosecutor is they're dealing with and decide that, okay, I'm going to answer questions under oath. I don't know what the direction of these questions are. I'm just going to give my answers without, again, knowing what particular document they have. All you need to do is say inconsistent or misremember certain things that happened a couple of years ago or say something that contradicts something somebody else says. And next thing you know, you are, in fact, looking at obstruction of justice. I think I understand why President President Trump wants this inquiry to end. If I were President Trump, though, ending the inquiry is not going to be accomplished by giving statements under oath in kind of a free-for-all. And if you think that you can kind of talk your way out of stuff, my advice would be, no, put the special prosecutor to his proof. Will President Trump take that approach? Don't know. But I know that that's what his lawyers would be recommending. It's 1252. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 
It's 12.55. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The Bucks take on the Brooklyn Nets for the first time all season, and it happens tonight on the corner of 4th and State. Ted Davis and Dennis Krause will begin our Bucks shots pregame coverage from the Bradley Center at 6.40 here on WTMJ. See, we try to be clever when we write these promos. And since some people just read them and all, the Bucks take on the Brooklyn Nets for the first time all season. It happens tonight on the corner of 4th and State. That means we're doing it from downtown. They're at home. Ted Davis and Dennis Krause will begin our Buckshots pregame coverage from the BC. That would be the Bradley Center at 640 here on WTMJ. We don't want to make people work too hard. Just let's tell them where you can go to get it. All right. This is another one of these aggravating stories. Oh, by the way, coming up in less than 10 minutes, we're going to be talking about a proposal from our neighbor in our, from our neighbors in the south, Illinois. They want to do away with tackle football for anybody under the age of 12. We're going to be discussing that. The Brewers make some big trades. We'll be talking about that. All sorts of stuff coming up on the program today. I, I wanted to double back on something that, again, it continues. The whole theme of this first hour of the program is stuff that makes my head explode. And the the state elections commission maneuvering just is one of those things. The government, let's review the bidding quickly. The Government Accountability Board was this out-of-control agency that went off on this John Doe investigation that, in my opinion, violated the constitutional rights of Wisconsin conservatives, resulted in seizures that could should have never been allowed to happen, and generally trampled on the rights of a lot of people in connection with a witch hunt. The Government Accountability Board was done away with. You've got the Ethics Commission. You've got the Elections Commission. People from the Government Accountability Board, the bureaucrats, continue to staff those new agencies. The the directors both came from the old Government Accountability Board. They need Senate confirmation to keep their jobs. And I think that that's pretty much well settled. The Senate votes no on both of those appointments. What happens then is on Wednesday, the Elections Commission meets three Republicans, three Democrats, and decides that even though the state Senate has said no, has rejected the then interim director of the Elections Commission, a guy named Mike Haas, the, the Elections Commission, three Republicans and three Democrats, vote to continue the guy's employment. Even though it's clearly it's clearly illegal. He needs Senate confirmation, but this is essentially the election board, three Democrats, three Republicans, thumbing their nose at the state Senate. Now, you could say, well, it's three Republicans, three Democrats. Those Republicans, have they lost their mind? Well, no, two of them didn't. Two of the three said, hey, you know, we think that the guy should have been able to continue to keep in his job. But we understand that the Senate said no. The Senate has to confirm him. We've got independent legal advice saying he can't keep his job after the Senate has said no. Unfortunately, you have a third Republican appointee. Her name is Beverly Gill from Burlington, who decides to vote with the three Democrats to to keep the guy as the interim administrator with appointees like Beverly Gill. And she is the Republican appointee with appointees like Beverly Gill. And she was appointed by the governor. You, you just. You know, with friends like her, you don't need enemies. And if, again, I was saying this yesterday, and this is now now Scott Fitzgerald, he's saying that, um, you know, we 
we might name the new elections chief. If this is what the elections board is going to do, you know, we might just go ahead and name them. And again, this is going to end up in court. The elections commission is going to lose. It's going to cost a whole bunch of money, all because of the three Democrats and because of Republican appointee Beverly Gill. If I were Scott Walker, this is something that I would definitely be having buyer's remorse about. It's 1259. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 109, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Eric, this might sound like a silly question, but I'm not trying to be a smart butt about this. Did you understand that cro- the background of that crockpot story you just ran? So, the crockpot started a fire. Right. I mean, are you familiar with the show? I, I don't watch the show, but this, I, yes, I know the show. This is a huge story. I, I mean, th- th- and uh, because, and it shows the power of TV. All right, This Is Us is an NBC yes. show, extremely mm-hmm. popular. Um, I'm not into it, but my wife is. Okay, which means I am therefore you are. into it from time to time, <laughs> sure. and, and she'll like she'll DVR it and then sit down and watch a couple at a time. So it, it's this is the second season of this very popular show, and, it, and it fe- it's it's like told in flashbacks. Mm-hmm. It's one mm-hmm. of these things yep. where it bounces all over. I mean, it's not like a linear sort of thing. You you have stuff way in the past when the couple is first meeting and getting together, and then there's like a scene earlier this year about how you have this woman who's standing there, you know, tears crying, that family house is burned down, and and the the patriarch, the, the star of the show, his name is Jack, yeah. and he he died. You know through the you know he he's dead, but you don't know how he died. So this this week, and I happened to be watching the show because Fran was watching the show. So th- this is on, and I'm and I I, I really I don't know the characters. I don't know that much about it. But they they have this flashback to where apparently the the older neighbors are moving. And so one, you know, he's going through the garage and he's got giving away stuff. So he goes up to the house and he gives him this slow cooker. It's a crock pot, but it's not. This gets interesting, too, because it's not a crock pot. It's a slow cooker. That's crock pot is like a they're generically the slow cookers. Crock pot is like Kleenex. You know, it's not, you know, they're tissue. It's a brand. Right. It's a brand. Yeah. So he gives him the crock pot. Here, you know, we're moving here. I want you to have this. We cook lots of great meals in this. And, you know, you got to fidget with the switch a little bit, but it's real reliable. And so, you know, then the show goes on. And then, like, 20 minutes later, you know, the family's, like, gone to bed. It's Super Bowl Sunday. And you see the crock pot catch on fire and burn down the house. And, like, the, the cliffhanger is the, the father, Jack, is, like, running, trying to get people out of this burning house. And apparently that's how he dies, you know, because you, you've known he's dead. But this is the thing. So that's what happened. Crockpot has gone nuts. Yeah. Because yeah. They're, they're like, oh, my God. They're, apparently they are getting tens of thousands of people who are now afraid that these slow cookers, which is, I mean, the idea of a slow cooker thing is that you, you know, put it on. <laughs> At, at six in the morning, and you leave, and you or you leave go to your bed. house, right? For you know, you go to work mm-hmm. for like eight or ten hours, and you come back, and the food is gone. They're they are just in, they're freaking out. There's I've got a story right here, the Washington Post. Yeah, yeah they're yeah. just freaking out about this because people are thinking now that their house is going to burn down. Well, and there are people now throwing away their crockpots. We've right. seen that on social media now. People taking them to the dump because hey, I don't want this. I don't want to start my house on fire. And well, so, well, oh, and, and they're they're going. I mean, they're, they're they've and they've now got this incredible. 
incredible. You know, you, it's like crisis marketing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, sometimes you go into crisis marketing because I don't know your product is contaminated and people are dying. This is because of this TV show. I mean, I'm I'm looking at this. These people are going, hey, I mean, they're, they're, the crockpot is saying, okay, first of all, this was it wasn't necessarily a crockpot, but secondly, <laughs> this is like a 20 year old slow cooker yes. in a fictional TV show with a bad switch. This doesn't happen now, in the there, real world. There are some uh, reports that they would actually consider a lawsuit in something like this. They would have no, there, there's no merit to that, would there be? Uh, you would, no, 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 I mean, not against no that. Right. Against, no, like, not the against the producers. The TV of show. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I guess what, it, it's actually, I was, I was interested to see you bring that up on the news because I actually had this worked up as a, as a topic and it would just, it shows the impact that even these fictional shows mm-hmm. have on, on pop culture because this is, you know, these things don't catch on fire like this. This isn't what happens. But, you know, this one show, now all these people go, my God, I'm never going to make stuff in a slow cooker again. And there's something about this show, too. You, you talk to people like your wife who watch it. There's some, there's some weird emotional connection to the characters on this show that I haven't seen in a while with a television show. Like, people really get caught up to it. So you add that to the fact that people are afraid of their crockpots, and here you go. They have... Um there's been over a hundred and hundred million. This is a crock, I, I actually feel bad for Crockpot because they're saying, um, okay, over fifty years, there's been over a hundred million Crockpots sold. They say we have never received any <laughs> consumer right. complaints similar to the fictional events portrayed in last night's episode. <laughs> Our safety and design of the product renders this type of accident nearly impossible. <laughs> and, yet, and yet, there's people that are tearing all these things up. Yep. Yep. Uh, I don't know. The power, I like my crockpot. Oh well, there you go. And, and but and, and the the power of if, if we if we've acted as spoilers for you know this is us. Sorry, but I mean it's it. Now now I, now I actually want to tune in next week to see kind of see what happens. How <laughs> this all happens. Now, I, I don't have that emotional connection with the show, but like I say, Fran does. So I guess I do as well. But it's destroyed crockpot's business. And, you know, one one TV show and this company's probably going to be losing you know hundreds of thousands mm-hmm, of dollars. Mm-hmm. And, oh well. All right, let us switch gears. We go from I just I thought that was interesting. Now we're carrying it on the news, but it is it's a uh, huge stories about all this. All right. Um speaking of TV shows, that's what the segue is. Uh I, I admit I'm a kind of a fan of junk TV. I, I I don't know that I have to defend myself, but I, I love Friday nights or Gold Rush. I love watching these stories of these guys trying to mine things and I like swamp people because it makes me feel good about my life because no matter what kind of bad stuff happens at work. I'm not going through the Louisiana Bayou in August trying to catch, you know, and wrestle 75-pound live alligators into my boat. I, I, I feel kind of good about my, myself with that. But I like I like junk TV. There was a show. It might still be on. I lost interest in it. A couple years ago on, I think it was the Esquire Network, called Friday Night Tykes. And what this did is it followed youth football teams. Um First year, it was youth football teams like in San Antonio. Then it was like youth football teams in uh, Pennsylvania. But uh, these hotbeds of hotbeds of football, and it showed when I'm talking about youth football teams, I'm talking about kids that are in some cases like seven and eight years old, you know, dressed up. They're in the full helmets. They're playing tackle football. And it kind of showed how what I found interesting about it was kind of how nuts a lot of the parents were about how they really got into it and, you know, kind of forgot that they were coaching like eight and nine-year-olds. But, you know, you'd, you'd also kind of get the idea of how violent the game football was. The kids were in pads and all that type of stuff, and it was kind of like Pop Warner football, but, you know, different sort of leagues. But 
I, I, you know, you'd watch it. You'd always have some of these kids that would get hurt because, uh, again, you know, they're running and football is a contact sport. All right. Th- this is what leads me to what's going on in Illinois. Um, yesterday, one of the state representatives, a Democrat, um, issued a, a proposal. And, and this, again, it's going to be considered by the Illinois legislature. What it would do is it would ban tackle football for children younger than 12. Um, they call it the Dave Dewerson Act. Dave Dewerson was the former Bears player who killed himself um, about five or six years ago at the age of 50. He was found to have the CTE, which is the degenerative brain disease that has been linked to repeated head trauma. And, of course, you know, that's... That's what the NFL is dealing with now. Lots of former players end up having this various disease because, gee, you know, you spend four, five, six, ten years running into, you know, a 250-pound person as fast as you can over and over again. It's going to be bad thing due to bad things to your, your body. So the argument that they're making is we need to protect your, your children, our children. And so what we need to do is start at an early age. And we're not going to ban tackle football, but we do think that, you know, you have to be at least 12. And the argument is that during that age range from like 8 to 13, that's when, you know, players really are starting to cognitively develop. You know, your brain is starting to grow and all that sort of stuff. And that's that's the time when you shouldn't be subjecting your brain to possible concussions and things like that by a contact sport like football. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I will come tell you where I come down on this in just a moment, but I am legitimately curious. Do you think Wisconsin should follow suit? Should we say it is illegal to allow children to play tackle football, organized tackle football, until they hit at least the age of 12. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. That's what they want to do in Illinois. No tackle football as a matter of law until you're at least 12 years old. Good idea, bad idea. 414-799-1620, we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 118. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 121, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Facebook is making changes in how you get your news. Want to find out how you can keep getting the news you want on your feed? Check out the story up now at the top of the WTMJ Facebook page. Yeah, that's uh, quite an interesting story as to how that works. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Illinois wants to make it illegal, illegal, for children under the age of 12 to participate in organized tackle football activities. All right. Um, They estimate, I'm looking that um, in Illinois, at least one of the football leagues, let's see, what were the numbers that I had here for a minute, of, um, they said like of 5,000 players that were, you know, entered in the league, they estimate that, you know, a good portion of them are, in fact, you know, under the age of 12. Matter of fact, what they say is they find that by the age of, like, 14, by the time people are starting to go to high school, most of the kids that have played football are, are out of it. They've either decided they're not good enough, they don't like getting hit, um, or they've just found other interests. So where do I come down on this? I think this law is ridiculous. I mean, look, I think that it is a legitimate concern 
that parents should have as to whether or not their kids should be playing tackle football. I mean, I, I think that's that's really, I mean, I think candidly, you know, if I had like an eight-year-old, um, I guess, and the kid wanted to play football, I'd have a lengthy conversation with her. I might at least figure out, you know, what's what's the kid's talents, you know, what, what exactly is that, what are the protections, what's the league like. Okay, so, I mean, I think that that's a legitimate concern. And if mom and dad decide that they don't want their kid playing tackle football, I'm cool with that. I understand it. I don't think you need a law, though, which says that, if mom and dad are cool with it and the kid wants to do it and you like the way the leagues run, that by law you can't play tackle football at the age of nine. Where do we draw the line? My guess is that a lot of the injuries that you end up seeing, like traumatic brain injuries to kids, um, at that age, it's not necessarily going to be just tackle football. It's going to be kids falling off their bicycles. So do we say you can't ride a bike if you're under the age of 10? It's going to be kids roughhousing in the backyard. It's going to be kids on swing sets or jungle gyms who end up falling off. The truth of the matter is we, we can't bubble wrap people. And I, I think you have to give the parents the discretion to decide whether or not they want to involve their kids. I mean, I've told this story on the radio before. I mean, I had friends whose um, son, who is now getting ready to graduate from college, but, you know, he was the quarterback of the freshman football team. Mom and dad, a nice, good athlete. Maybe not a great athlete, but a good athlete, very good athlete. He was the quarterback of the freshman football team in high school. He was also a great golfer and ran cross country and things like that. And um, second or third game, he ended up with a concussion. And, you know, mom in particular, I think, moved in and said, that's it. You know, I, I don't want you playing football anymore. And maybe that was an overreaction. Maybe not. But there was all sorts of other athletic activities that he could participate in. You know, and he did. and It was fine. I respect mom for taking that position. Would I have taken the same if I had been my kid? I don't know. But I respect that. What I don't think you need is the government stepping in and saying, as a matter of law, we're not going to allow you to offer the Friday night tykes thing. We're not going to allow you to have Pop Warner football because we think the risk is too great. And again, I would be interested to know of the various, for example, NFL players that now suffer with, with CTE, which is a very real and a concerning thing, how many uh, much of that came from injuries to the brain that they sustained when they were playing Pop Warner football at the age of eight or nine. My guess is that, you know, most of the traumatic brain injuries, you know, occurred as they got older and older and the people were bigger and the collisions were, you know, harder and, you know, uh, of greater impact and, and more of them. That would be my guess. I think this is a law too far. It's 125. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 135, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Um, the, the the shutdown, of course, ended this week over a promise that the government would take up the, the, the dreamers, the whole issue of what do you do with the 800-plus thousand people who were brought as kids illegally into this country by their parents but have been here for uh, you know a long period of time and should there be some sort of path to citizenship for them you know the president initially said that you know he was open to having some discussions now that that appears to be kind of breaking down because the president wants funding for his border wall 
and that's a condition of you know perm- something permanent for the the dreamers. That's you know the wall is a controversial issue, and and I'm I'm one of these people who said from the beginning that I don't understand the understand the idea of building a wall. Tighter border security, I am all in favor of. And if you wanted to use the wall as a metaphor, I would get that. But an actual wall, yeah, I'm not sure where that actually plays in. I'm also somebody who candidly. Um, it's one thing to say to dreamers, you can legally you can legally become residents. It's another thing to give them to say you can become citizens because there's a difference between legal residents and citizens. And to me, if I were in Congress, that would be one of the areas where, okay, I, I might be open to allowing people to stay, but at the same time, you know, citizenship, I wonder what circumstances, and I think you need to be very careful before you go down that route. But, but nevertheless, immigration remains a hot button issue for Congress, for the president, and for a lot of us. Which brings me to this story um, out of Washington State. There's a lot of talk about sanctuary cities and sanctuary states. The, the idea that you can have local governments that decide that they do not want to cooperate with federal immigration officials who are trying to enforce federal law. And, of course, you've had some of the high-profile stories. You had that case out of San Francisco where you have the guy who's in this country illegally, um, who's got a criminal record, who is apprehended by the local authorities. They then turn around and release him, and he goes out and kills somebody. All right, here's the latest example of this. Washington State has a very liberal policy with regard to people who are in the country illegally. In Washington State, if you go down and you apply for a driver's license, you do not have to be a U.S. citizen. So you can get a driver's license in Washington State without being a citizen, which I think is kind of an interesting thing, but okay, that's fine. Um, However, what the state does is when you come down there and you apply for the driver's license, the state does track, um, you know, where where it is that you were born. So they'll have a record. You know, if you say I, I'm, you know, born in Mexico, um, and you tell them you're not a citizen, I'm not even sure if they ask whether you're a citizen or not. But they do track where you were were born. So they have that record. You can legally get the driver's license whether you're a citizen or not. The Department of Licensing, which is their equivalent of the DMV, was treating immigration like every law, other law enforcement agency. And what they would do is if they would receive a request from immigration saying, um, hey, we're looking for records on Jeff Wagner, you know, what – what information do you have about Jeff Wagner? What they would do is they would say, oh, well, we issued a driver's license to, here's, here's, the, here's the file. Here's the Wagner file. We issued him a driver's license on you know, January 15th, and this is the information, you know, the height, the weight. This is the home address, and this is, you know, where, where he's from. This is the country of origin. Um, the governor has now said no. You cannot share that information. We have stopped releasing information relative to immigration violations. And from here forward, we're going to require a court order to do so. They have hired a woman as a special assistant. Her job is to make sure that no state agency gives immigration any information 
unless specifically ordered to by the courts. Um, she is also designed, her assignment is to comb through state records to determine if agencies are currently collecting immigration information when they should not be. Some Republican lawmakers are angry. One says, this is like trying to make it a sanctuary state. If we're not going to allow federal agencies to go after those who are committing crimes in cities and communities, that's what it amounts to. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The we want to be we want to be understanding. We want to be welcoming. But now in Washington state, they're saying don't cooperate with immigration officials. You know, unless you get a court order that specifically requires you to do so, you are not supposed to give them anything. So if the immigration official calls and says, hey, we're trying to run down this investigation. What do you have on Jeff Wagner? Nope. We are not going to share it with you. We're not going to share it with you. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think this, what is the word we're using a lot today? I think this is just nuts. I mean, I, I just think it is nuts, and I don't understand why the state governments think it is in their interest to protect people who are in this country illegally, potentially at the expense of American citizens. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. It's 141. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. From the WTMJ Breaking News Center, I'm Eric Bilstad. Following a breaking news story from overnight, a Bucks rookie, Sterling Brown, arrested and apparently tasered by Milwaukee police. This happened near 26th and National. It was outside a Walgreens Early this morning, we're still waiting to get word from the Milwaukee Bucks. Milwaukee police will not confirm. The Journal Sentinel says it was, in fact, Sterling Brown. Much more coming up at 2 o'clock. It's 145. So what does early mean? 2 in the morning. 2 in the morning. Okay. Wagner's rule of life, number 5. Let's all go through it. Nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 in the morning or apparently a Walgreens at 2 <laughs> right. Walgreens uh, where, where, where was this Walgreens 26th and National 26th and National nothing good happens outside a Walgreens 26th and National uh, I I don't know we'll, we'll we'll wait for we'll wait for more developments about this but how uh, seriously how many other stories are there like this where and it's always a strip club you know and it's always these athletes and it's 2 o'clock in the morning and it's closing time and and there's there's just something that's happened, and you're going to want to say, just stay home for goodness sakes. You know, I'm I'm not prejudging this. We'll we'll wait, but it's kind of like you knew it's two o'clock. It's always it's always two o'clock in the morning. It, but it, it was a Walgreens in it, this case. This was Walgreens. a well, yeah, it was outside the Walgreens. I don't know what's well, I, you're right. I don't know what's around 26th the National again. You know, I, who, who who knows? But it, you know, don't know what's around that area. And but two o'clock in the morning. Not maybe we need to modify that rule. Nothing good happens out of a, outside a strip club. Or a Walgreens at two o'clock in the morning, huh? Kind of interesting. The new the new head coach of the Bucks has probably got to be going. Oh my goodness gracious! You know, it's just it, it's like the general manager of the Packers, the general manager of the Brewers. These guys, they're it's still. I'm sure when their phone rings in the middle of the night, it's just you know it's never going to be good. Okay, what's what's happened? Who's gotten arrested for? You know, driving with marijuana. The Packers had that problem. Like a bunch of people get busted. It seems like they all got pot in their cars and stuff. It's like, oh, come on. If you're going to smoke pot, just smoke it at home. All right, I digress. We were talking about the Washington State, which is essentially on the verge of becoming a sanctuary state. 
Um, they're suing Motel 6 for giving guest information to immigration authorities. That story was in the news a couple weeks ago. Now they are saying to their DMV, they call it the Driver's Licensing Bureau, you are not allowed to cooperate with immigration unless you are absolutely forced to. So if an immigration official calls you to ask about the information that they have on Jeff Wagner, you are not allowed to give give them. It's just simply because they're from immigration, you cannot give them any information. Make them get a court order because, well, we don't want to cooperate at all. Let's see. Um, Karen writes, um, saying that they... Um, Okay. Uh, the idea of sanctuary cities is ludicrous. Um, you know, I think agencies that do this, states that do this, should lose um, their public safety fines from the federal government. See, th- this is, I-, I think, one of the things that you got to look at doing if, in fact, you're going to really crack down on this type of stuff, which is just like the federal government says, all right, you don't have to have – you don't have to have a, a 21-year-old drinking age, but if you don't have a 21-year-old drinking age, we're not going to give you federal highway money. So everybody has a 21-year-old drinking age. That's just the effect. I think it's long past time to talk to and say to these states, fine, if you want to not cooperate fully with immigration officials, if you want to arguably not follow federal law with regard to this, fine, Okay, be a sanctuary city, be a sanctuary state, but, you know, we're going to pull all the federal funding. And I think that that's, that then I, I think would get a lot of these states and cities to perhaps rethink some of their thoughts. All right, coming up in three minutes, we're number three. We're number three. Stick around. It's 149. This is Jeff Wagner. 152, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, this is the way the Journal Sentinel reports the incident involving... The Buck, Sterling Brown. Police were doing a business check about 2 a.m. Friday, that would be this morning, at the Walgreens at the corner of South 26th Street and West National Avenue when they saw a vehicle parked across two handicapped parking spaces. Okay, let me just stop there. Now, I understand that when I hear these stories about people who park in handicapped parking spaces, it drives me absolutely bat crap crazy. Okay, it just does. I mean, we've done topics about that before. It's like, all right, I can't. The, the people that need these handicapped, par- these disabled parking space entitled to, to have them. Now, I understand this is 2 o'clock in the morning, so maybe it's a slightly different dynamic. But apparently, this is the report, the cops see a vehicle parked across two of the handicapped parking spaces. Officers spoke with a 22-year-old man about the situation, and during the incident, a taser was used, and the man was arrested. The circumstance of the incident and the use of force are currently being reviewed by the police department, according to the statement. Uh, the arrest of Brown was first reported by News Talk 1130 WISN. Radio station cited a source saying that Brown confronted the officers who were writing him a ticket. Hey, what are you doing writing me a ticket? Oh, I'm just... I'm a member of the Bucks. I'm just, you know, parked in front and across two handicapped parking spaces. Uh, confronted the officers who were writing him a ticket and became combative. Developing story. Check back. Hmm. <laughs> it's, it's just you, you knew it was going to be something like that, you know. And it's and I'm, I'm I'm picturing the police officers, and I don't know the circuit. I mean, it's kind of like it's two o'clock in the morning, and you, you're driving by the Walgreens. You go, okay, there's a car parked across two handicapped parking spaces. All right, so then you start inquiring, and I'm sure they're saying, okay, the guy became, like, combative. Hmm. 
<laughs> Wagner's rule of life, maybe number 14 and a half. All right. If you're if you're going to park your car on the street, even if it's two o'clock in the morning, don't park across two handicapped parking spaces. All right. We are number three. And actually, number three is kind of a good thing. Um, the, the new numbers with beer have just come out and Miller Lite has now passed Budweiser as being the third best-selling beer in the United States. But but here's what I think is really, really interesting. The best-selling beer in the United States, and this is the United States, not globally. Globally, it's different. Best-selling beer in the United States, Bud Light. Second best-selling beer in the U.S., Coors Light. Third best-selling beer in the U.S., Miller Lite, and then Budweiser comes in number four. Um, Bud Light, by far and away. I mean, Bud Light, $5.65 billion in sales in 2017. Coors Light, $2.38 billion. Miller Lite, $2.03 billion. Budweiser, $1.97 billion. So, I mean, yes, doing the math really quickly, you could add the combined sales of Coors Light and Miller Lite together and they would still be, you know, a billion dollars behind the, the sales of Bud Light, which is just dominating. But interestingly enough, what what are the common characteristics of the top three selling beers? They're all light beer. Bud Light, Coors Light, Miller Light. And then, you know, after that, it's the king of beers, Budweiser. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I remember when they first rolled out Miller Lite, and, and Miller Lite was going to be, it, it was the idea, you know, the taste great, the less filling, the thing that, you know, you could, you know, go after to appeal to beer drinkers who are, you know, concerned about the calories or things like that. There was also active marketing towards, like, female beer drinkers, for example, who might be maybe a little bit more weight conscious or, you know, weight conscious than, you know, the, the traditional, you know, big beer drinking guy. But over the years, it has now developed that, you know, you look at the different beers, and it's light beer. It's it's Bud Light, it's Coors Light, it's Miller Light, and then it's everything else. Why is it? What has happened, and why is it that light beer has taken off like it has? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This comes from the perspective of somebody who, who is a beer drinker, and I, I admit I'm, you know, I'll have the occasional Bud Light or Coors Light or Miller Light, but I mean, I, I'm a craft beer drinker, and my general philosophy is that um, I, if I'm going to go out, I, I'm not going to have lots and lots of beer, but the beer that I have, I, I like to taste it, and I'm into IPAs and things like that. But these light beers are really taken off. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. Why is it that they are the top three? Um, 414-799-1620, nothing ends up being close. Now, I have a number of theories about this, but kind of curious as to where you come down on it and i will tell you this i i know lots and lots of people um at all sorts of different ages and all sorts of economic circumstances and all of them are are all of them are light beer drinkers and it's sometimes it's bud light sometimes it's coors light sometimes it's miller light but all of them are light beer drinkers 414 799 why has this why has this 
happened that you're getting this kind of explosion? Number one, number two, number three. Dave in Milwaukee. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. How's it going? Good. What do you think? Um, Why, one, two, and three, the best-selling beers in the U.S.? Because microbrews are taking off. And so a person that really enjoys beer, if they're going to have a few beers, they're going to opt for a light beer. If they're going to have one, maybe two beers, then they're going to go for the high-end stuff, like, uh, you know, a, yeah, a craft beer dead yeah. guy or something. Yeah, craft beer. So it's, um, like I said, it's just different tastes for, uh, like, say it's a hot day and you're out with your buddies and you know you're going to be sitting on the patio having, uh, I don't want to sound bad, but like three, four, maybe even five beers. You want to have a lower alcohol, lighter, crisper beer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, I mean, right, if you're going to, right, and, and with a lower alcohol content so you don't have to worry about that. No, I think, I think that that might be a factor. Um, I, you know, I'm just telling you, this is the way this stands now, and this is clearly, that this is the moment. Light beer is the thing. It's 159. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, so very glad to have you with us. Yeah, we'll continue to keep you updated about the uh, in situation involving the Bucks player 2 o'clock in the morning outside the Walgreens on 20-something in National last night. Okay, well, let's just spend one segment talking about the world of sports. Um, you know, this is a, on this show, show, we talk about politics and we talk about pop culture, pop culture corner coming up in 20 minutes. But um, I, yesterday, I, I admit that the the brewers kind of surprised me a, a little bit i have ever since you had the ownership change i mean i've gotten to know mark atanasio a little bit just from the perspective of doing you know what i've done the last number of years you know being there at opening day and interviewing him and bob and talking to the the people at the brewers and it, there's never been a doubt in my mind that this is an ownership team that is committed to trying to win now there's a couple ways you can do that in in baseball and, and one is that you can go out and you can spend a whole bunch of money and you can hire all these expensive free agents and you can try to go that route. Well, all right, if you're the New York Yankees or the Los Angeles Dodgers, maybe you can do that. If you're the Milwaukee Brewers um, operating in one of the smallest um, markets in baseball, even though – uh, attendance is is absolutely great. You, you have to do it, take a different sort of approach. And what the Brewers have done is they have said, okay, we're going to try to identify, trade for, develop young talent, and then once that young talent starts to perform, understanding that we're not going to be able to re-sign everybody. And the way baseball works is, you know, you have control of the players um, at relatively modest rates, you know, until for the first four or five years, and then they hit free agency. And the Brewers, I think, understand that they're not going to be able to bid to keep all their free agents. So what they do is they try to develop talented players and then, you know, supplement that well a couple years ago the brewers essentially said all right it's time to make a a switch what we end up having to do is you know what we're doing right now is taking us as far as we can we need to start selling off individual players and let's bring in draft picks let's bring in you know rookies uh let's bring in minor league players and see how they develop and i think 
last year's results demonstrated pretty clearly that the Brewers' rebuilding project is a lot farther ahead of schedule than a lot of people thought. Now, one of the things that I think the ownership has always maintained is we're here to win, and we want to win a World Series, and we're willing to spend the money you know, when we, we think we're, we're close to that. Now, last year, because with the exception of Ryan Braun and Matt Garza, um, the, the Brewers' payroll was very, very low. I think it might have even been the lowest or one of the two or three lowest in, in Major League Baseball because you had all the, these young players that were coming up. And I, I think a lot of people would say that the Brewers just absolutely outperformed, overperformed expectations. They were, keep in mind, they were competing for the second wild card spot up until I, I think the second last day of the season. It, it was a great year. And I think a lot of people were looking at this year saying, hey, this is, this is our chance. You know, this team is going to be better. And what you saw yesterday is, is a Brewers ownership that is willing to put it's money where it, its mouth is. You know, there's the press conference that's going on right now. You know, the Brewers have turned around and have, have signed Lorenzo Cain, who was um, a player that was like a can't-miss player in their farm system. They traded him to Kansas City in 2010 to get Zach Greinke, who helped get the Brewers into the playoffs, and then he went and became a free agent. Um, Kane, um all-star center fielder, Power hitter, hits for average, great defender. He's going to be 32 years old. He's not the kind of, uh, in August, he's not necessarily a player that you would think that you would bring into a rebuilding team. He's the type of player that you bring into a team that says, hey, we're going to win now. In addition, they, they ended up taking a number of their top prospects. Uh, Lewis Brinson, who is their outfielder, who is the number one prospect in uh, the system, Monty Harrison, um, an infielder named um, Azan Diaz, who was a young guy but was one of these guys very, very highly touted, and a pitcher. They traded them all to the Marlins for Christian Yelich, who is, uh, again, a young player under the control of the team for a number of years. He signed a contract extension a couple of years ago with Miami. The guy's a gold glove winner. He's a career 290 hitter. Um, he's played left field. He can play center field. And, and all of a sudden, you know, the Brewers have revamped their, their outfield with guys that you wouldn't expect to have on a rebuilding team. They're guys that you would expect to have on a team where you think you're going to be challenging for the playoffs and maybe the World Series. You had to give up a lot. I mean, the, the Brewers are paying Kane $80 million. That's a big hit on a payroll of a team in a market like Milwaukee. In addition, you know, they had to give up a number of their top prospects to bring in this player from Miami who's an established an established star. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think, just from my perspective as a baseball fan, and I'm not the I'm not the sports guy that does the talk shows like Greg Matzik or Doug Russell or anything like that, but just from the perspective of you know the, a trunk slammer like me, the guy that shows up at Miller Park and opens up the trunk and te- trunk and you know takes out the grill and grills behind the grills behind my vehicle and stuff like that, I I think this is really exciting, and I am. I just cannot wait for opening day because I think this shows, and my guess is this is not going to be the last move the Brewers make. I think this shows that there is a commitment to the city and that this team is in it to win it. 
and you never like to see him give up all these potential players. But at the same time, sometimes you got to say the future is now. And how many times have we had these can't-miss prospects that then end up missing? You've got established players. They dabbled in free agency. They've made a big trade. This is the kind of thing that I think wins pennants and wins games. And it's perhaps the type of thing that's been missing you know, in Green Bay for a little too long. I give this move an A-plus by the Brewers. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. It's end of January. How would you grade the Brewers' moves this week? Are you happy with these trades and signings that they just made? I think it's a winner. 414-799-1620. It's 215. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 219. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I have to tell you, as a as a sports fan, I think this these moves by the Brewers yesterday are just the coolest thing in the world. As a long-suffering Milwaukee sports fan, I I am I'm tired. I've been tired of years and years and years of various sports teams, and not single out the Brewers, just sports teams in general treading water. The idea that you know we, we oh this is Milwaukee and it's a small market we we can't be a player for the, we can't be a player in the sweepstakes to get this player or that player or whatever I mean I I remember back you know when Green Bay was thought as kind of Siberia and then Ron Wolf goes out and he brings in Reggie White now he paid Reggie White more than you know anybody else offered him but that was kind of a turnaround and you build Reggie White around Brett Favre and you have this renaissance for the Packers that has lasted a couple decades you know I understand the economics of baseball are completely and totally different and you have to be you know smart with how you you know play this all out but i mean just just look at this here you have a, a team that overperformed you've got a good nucleus of young players and what you do is you go out and you say all right we've got log gyms there's there's no place for some of these young players to play anyways because we've got other young players that are ahead of them so let's let's do let's package these guys let's get them in and let's get them proven major league players um with career Career track records of success who apparently want to be here and that's precisely what they did yesterday and I, I think it's I think it's exciting you have one of our texts maybe it speaks to, um, who says well this this is going to um, this is going to help um, with season ticket sales um, yeah I, I think yeah that's that's exactly right you had a good you had a good record. You have reasons to be optimistic, and now you can sell. Hey, we've got Lorenzo Cain. You know, we've got Christian Yelich uh, coming in. Look at what they've done. Let's talk to Renata in Waukesha. You're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. What do you oh, think? Oh, I am definitely excited. I think they. Oh yes, they made the right move on this. Well, I, yeah. I mean, it's clearly an indication that they believe in this team that they're willing to trade away a lot of good young players for a really, really good young player who could be a superstar or pay $80 million over four years to a guy that they think is an established superstar. That's exciting. You know, I tell you, I think the Brewers actually have a shot this year. I really do. With the way they played last year and then adding these two guys, I think they are going to do phenomenal. And I'd also like to wish Mr. Euchre a happy birthday. Oh, is this Bob's birthday? I didn't know. Is this Bob's birthday? All right. Uh, Yeah, and we're we're also not going to say which birthday that is. But no, thanks for going. Bob Euchre just uh, one. I didn't know it was his birthday. Okay. Uh, Hi, Jeff. I'd give this trade an A. The outfield is set for five years now, and uh, who uh, who will they acquire pitching 
pitching-wise, with extra, extra prospects, this could be a really great year. John and Eden makes the same point. We are one ace starting pitcher away from making the Cubs nervous. That's, And I don't think they're done. And, I mean, I, I do think these moves raise all sorts of interesting questions because, you know, you, you still got you still got a lot of players out. For, what do you do with Ryan Braun? I mean, do you th- consider, um, you know, Yelich played center field last year, but he, you know, he started off, he had the greatest success playing left field, which is where you have Ryan Braun. Um, Lorenzo Cain is a center fielder. Um, so you've got that. You've got Domingo Santana. You've got Brett Phillips. You've got all sorts of other the young players that are out there. And you've got Ryan Braun. Do you think about moving Brian Braun to first? What 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 do you do and how do you do this? It, it's, a, it's a great problem to have. Um, is there another deal out there where you maybe package another player or two and or you know, does Mark Atanasio go to the ownership group and say, hey, guys, this is our chance. Maybe let's be a player in the free agent market. Let's try to get that one starting pitcher back. And I, it's why you, you really hate to see that injury to Jimmy Nelson, and you don't know when he's going to be coming back. But I, I guess the bottom line of this is I, I just think that this is it, it's exciting. And it gives fans a reason to be extremely optimistic. They still, again, I think they still need another starting pitcher, maybe two starting pitchers. I don't know. But I also don't get the idea that they're necessarily done with what they're doing. What I am seeing is an ownership group that is committed to winning. And I'll give you, you know, and credit where credit's due. I think you can say the same thing about the Bucks as well. You know, the Bucks realized they were underperforming earlier this year, so they go out and they, they make the deal and they, they bring in Bledsoe to play point guard. So you, you've got that, and I'm not sure the Bucks are quite done yet with where they're going as well. It's 223. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I give this move an A, and um, it's exciting for all us Brewer fans out there. 223, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Two twenty-six. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Pop Culture Corner is coming up in less than eight minutes. It's going to be a fun one today. What was the big entertainment news? Oh, yeah, the Oscars came out. And I'll give you a hint. Pop Culture Corner, kind of Oscar-related. The Olympic flame is making its way to South Korea in anticipation. Gene Miller takes a look at the Wisconsin athletes to watch at this year's Winter Games. That's going to happen at 610 Monday on Wisconsin's Morning News. Be sure to tune in. Gene and Jane do an absolutely outstanding job. I, we didn't get a chance to talk about this during the, the course of the week, but I, I did want to mention it because it's a... It's an interesting story. It's somewhat inside baseball, but it's something that a number of us have been following for for a long while now. Um, John McAdams is a political, or was, a political science professor, a tenured political science professor at Marquette University. He was... Oh, he was the you-know-what in the punch bowl at, at Marquette. He was a conservative, which puts him in odds at odds with the, the general operation of the faculty at Marquette. He was also a conservative blogger. Um, he has this blog called the Marquette Warrior, which, of course, is then a reference to um, the, the politically correct Marquette University that decided we, we've got to get rid of the Warriors nickname because somebody somewhere might be offended. So I, I, I've, I've loved McAdams for a long time, <laughs> just because as somebody who refuses to accept the name of that basketball team as being the Golden Eagles and refuses to cap- capitalize for political correctness, I, I just I just love it. And 
and McAdams has been a thorn in the side of the administration for years. And there's no question in my mind they were trying to find any reason they could to get rid of him. But, you know, we're supposed to have these things called academic freedom in this country, and apparently it's not a two-way street. So anyhow, what ended up happening is McAdams does this blog about a, a graduate student who's also a grad student a, a, a teacher who um, – calls out a student in class for for something and embarrasses that student, and McAdams tells the story. Marquette, which in my opinion was looking for an excuse all along to try to get rid of McAdams, uses this, I think it was a pretext. Oh, he, he singled out the student, he caused her all sorts of embarrassment. Well, he, he was telling the story of what I think was the inappropriate thing that the professor, in this case it was a graduate student who was teaching a class, he was exposing the, in my opinion, inappropriate things that she was doing in the classroom. Anyhow, Marquette uses that as a basis to fire him. The interesting story this week is that the Wisconsin Supreme Court has agreed to hear this case about the, the boundaries of academic freedom. Marquette has argued that McAdams, who was suspended indefinitely without pay, violated terms of his contract. McAdams argued, hey, I've got academic freedom protections, and I should be able to you know, say what I, what, what I want, especially when what I was saying was accurate. Again, I think Marquette used this as a pretext to try to dump a guy that had been causing them embarrassment and heartburn by exposing a lot of the very, very left-leaning activities that was going on at campus. And I think this idea that, oh, he traumatized this graduate student by exposing something she did in class, I think that's a load of hooey. But interestingly enough, the Supreme Court's now going to take this case and to decide, you know, what the limits of academic freedom are. I personally, I have, I, I don't know enough about the legal arguments to make a prediction, but candidly, I hope John McAdams wins, and I am thrilled that the Supreme Court is taking this case. Two thirty-four, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, it is the part of the week that we put aside the heavy lifting. We stop worrying about whether. President Trump and Chuck Schumer can work out an immigration deal. We stop worrying about what foolishness is going to come from the county executive or from the mayor. We stop worrying about crime issues, and we try to have a little bit of fun as we go into the weekend. 45 degrees outside, stock market up big again, by the way. For for everybody who is complaining about President Trump, the, the one thing... Again, stuff goes up, stuff goes down. But the one thing you can't argue about is the first year of the Trump presidency has been outstanding for anybody who has money in the stock market. The Dow up another 175 points today, 26,588. The NASDAQ is up 70-some points. That's 1%. Actually, percentage-wise, the NASDAQ's up a lot higher. If you've got money, and, and many, many people do, is money invested in the, again, stock market, maybe it's through your 401k plans at work or whatever. But uh, the Trump presidency has been great for you. The stock market up 181, keeps going up. So that's very, very good news for people who don't want to have to work forever and did 
have the ability to invest. But in any event, we put aside those sort of worries, up, down, whatever, and we do a segment I call Pop Culture Corner. We are live streaming this on Facebook, so you can go to um, facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ, and you can see how we do business here in the studio. I'm joined by Dan Dan, the IT man. All right, every week on Pop Culture Corner, I try to tie it into something that that's gone on in in the news or you know in in the world um you know, sometimes we'll tie it into hey they just had the new car shows that come out i think last week um you had that that miraculous play that the vikings receiver made and scored the touchdown new orleans loses so we were talking about like special sporting events um this week I want to take Pop Culture Corner back to its roots. Um, this originally started 20-some years ago, um, a segment I used to call Friday Afternoon at the Movies. Uh, the Oscar nominations came out. Uh, the Best Pictures. Now, they used to only have five nominations for Best Picture. Now they've expanded it. Uh, the Movies, Call Me By Your Name, didn't see it. Darkest Hour, really good. Dunkirk, didn't see it. Get Out, wouldn't watch it. Lady Bird, Phantom Thread, The Post, that's the... Um, all the kind of the all the president's men, um, except applied to the uh, Pentagon Papers. I, I haven't seen it, but I intend to. The Shape of Water and three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, which I do very much want to see. You know, th- those are those are the best pictures that are out there, and I guess time will tell which one it is and whether. That goes down. Whatever wins the best picture this year, you know, goes down. You know, in history as being really a great picture. Some years, they really do have great pictures. That, that end up winning. In other years, it's, I don't know, something that just ends up being actually really kind of a small movie that has some appeal or, like, catches a wave or, or whatever. And then it wins the Best Picture Oscar, and then you never hear from it again. Um, it's amazing how many movies they have out there. And I don't know about you, but I watch I watch a lot of movies. And the good ones I watch 10, 20, 30 times. The bad ones I go, gosh, I can't believe that, that somebody let this movie get made. Who thought it was a good idea to spend X million dollars making this particular movie? But in honor or in recognition of the Oscars being nominated, the Oscar nominations coming out, including for Best Picture, I thought we would do a movie-related topic. So I, I want to make it easy. I want to make it easy. Here is my question for you. What is the best movie that you ever saw? What is your all-time best picture? And it, it can be a comedy. It can be a drama. It can be, I guess, a documentary. But your all-time best picture, your favorite movie of all time. And maybe it's a great picture. Maybe it's a Lawrence of Arabia type of thing that, you know, oh my gosh, look at the spectacle, look at this. You know, maybe it's a small movie. I was watching uh, the other night one of my all-time favorite movies, a movie called Almost Famous, which is, you know, about a, a rock band in 1973. And for some reason, that movie just kind of really touches me. And I just, whenever it's on, I love to watch it. But 414-799-1620, that is the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What is your best picture of all time? 
414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. As I always caution people, first of all, call in early because our phone lines tend to jam up, and I want to make sure we can get to as many calls as possible. Um, in addition, go with your first thoughts. Sometimes people overthink it. Gee, if I call that up and I say that, will people think I'm silly? No. I mean, when I say best picture, what is the movie that pops into your mind? Um, love your phone calls. We can also participate. Again, we're live streaming on Facebook Live. Hello to everybody out there. Um, and the Acunet uh, Talk and Text Line, which is 414-799-1620. We are back with your calls in just a moment. All right. It's the all-time, the Oscar goes to your all-time best picture. Stick around. It is 2.40. This is Jeff Wagner. And get out a notepad because you might hear some movies that you really haven't seen for a while or haven't seen at all. And you check. You should check out. Okay, 2.40, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We're back in a minute. 2.43, Jeff Wagner. People were ready for this topic. Not real. Pulp Fiction. That's what Jackie in Sussex says. Chase in Milwaukee says The Deer Hunter. Yeah, um, that's Meryl Streep at the beginning. What's up, Doc? Barbara Streisand. The Blind Side. Um, huh. That's an interesting one. Sandra Bullock. Chariots of Fire. That was one that actually won the best picture, I think. Uh, that was a spectacular one. Uh, Dances with Wolves Extended Edition. That was a pretty good one, too. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Michelle in Grafton. Michelle, good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Michelle. Um, I loved, and I, I can't remember how long ago it was, Life is Beautiful, Olivia mm-hmm. Bell. And I think Roberto Benigni got... An Oscar for that. Yeah, he best picture. He, right, he he was best actor, no question yeah. about it. And I think I saw it at the Oriental, and in the end, everyone stood up and applauded. It yeah, was just- it's a uh, it's it's a very well done movie. No, th- thanks for the call. I mean, set in World War Two. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. I'm trying to get to as many calls as I possibly can. Let us talk to. Um, let's see, we've got okay, uh, Jim and Franklin. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Jim. Um, 1964, it's a mad, 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 mad world. It had every big-name comedian in it. And Spencer Tracy as the star of that thing, yeah. And Ethel Merman and Milton Berle and Mickey Rooney and... Yeah, outstanding. Just funny. That's one of those that I can watch over and over again. It is. It. it I mean, thanks to God, I, I was a very little kid, and I can actually remember seeing that theater in. I, I seeing it in the theater, and I. I don't think I quite got it or appreciated it at the time. But yeah, it's. It, it's got a Phil Silver's. You know. Um, Dick Sean, I mean, you name it. The you name it. If there was a comedian at the time, they were in that movie. And again, it's got Spencer Tracy on top of that. Mary and Mequon. Mary, you're on WTMJ. Hello, Mary. Hi. Hi, Mary. Oh, go ahead. Country baby applesauce in baby boom. That's the sweetest, cutest movie ever. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is. It's it's a it's it's a cute. Movie, you're you're right. It's just you know, baby boom. It's it's just that that's the word I would use. Thanks for the call. It's cute. Melody in West Bend. Melody, you're in WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Uh, my favorite movie is Pride and Prejudice with Kira Knightley. Interesting. Tell me why. Well, I love the historicalness of the movie, and I'm a Jane Austen fan, mm-hmm. and the acting was really good in it. And the ending kiss is like the top ten romantic kisses you've ever seen. <laughs> you you are and you are a romantic at heart, right, Melody? Yes. All right, yes. so there you go. Pride. Actually, I mean, it's fun. I haven't seen the the new one with Kira Knightley. I, I saw. I'm familiar with Pride and Prejudice, but I hadn't seen that. Um, okay, let me just go to the text line quick. Blazing Saddles. Mel books books as a way of taking racy things and allowing you to laugh at it. I love Blazing Saddles. You could not make that movie today. 
without people going absolutely nuts. But it's it's just a lot of fun. Another vote for it's a mad, 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 mad world. Uh, dances with wolves again. Okay, let's talk to Tyler in Oconomowoc. Tyler, you're on WTMJ. Hello. How's it going, Jeff? Real well, thank you. What do you think? Well, I was going to say to you, Hunter, but I saw that I heard that you... Uh, no, you don't have to. No, you, you go with your instincts. There's nothing wrong with doubling up. The question is, the best movie for you? Uh, it, I was also going to mention uh, Forrest Gump. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's... You know, that's another one of those movies that I just never, ever get tired of. I think it's it's just really creative and extremely well done. No, thanks for calling. I, I, I mean, completely different. You know, The Deer Hunter with Robert De Niro and Meryl Streep um, and, and Forrest Gump with Tom Hanks um, and um, Robin Wright. Uh, but mm, all good. Perfecto in Wauwatosa. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, my favorite movie of all time is uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, Gregory Peck, maybe, maybe one of the greatest performances I think of all time is Atticus Finch. Maybe, absolutely, and uh, and just the movie, the topic itself at the time uh, when it came out, and it's still relevant today. Um, but it's 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 heartbreaking uh, oh. at the same time. Uh, quite educational. Oh, absolutely. Perfect. Thanks for the call. Matter of fact, we were doing a topic, I don't know if it was this week or last week, about how there's some people in Monona Grove who want to ban a kill, to kill a mockingbird from the classroom because, you know, it, it, it's a story of prejudice around the Depression in a small southern town, and, you know, there, there's use of the, the N-word and things like that, and they're offended by it. But, okay, that, that was history. That's what made that movie and what makes the book so very, very compelling, and you just can't censor history. Jim in Milwaukee. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hello. George C. Scott in Patton. Again, what maybe one of the greatest performances ever. And also uh, close to that was the Godfather and the Band of Brothers series. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, thanks. For, I'm a big fan of the Band of Brothers as well, and they show it pretty much every Memorial Day. I love that. Um, but but just, let's stick with Patton for a minute. If you like Patton, um, I, I would encourage you to go see The Darkest Hour. I saw that. That's that's Gary Oldham um, plays Winston Churchill. And it's getting rave reviews. It's really that good. It, it's sort of like Patton. I mean, it, it takes three weeks uh, or maybe a month right after Churchill first became the prime minister. It's not a war movie per se, but it's set against the backdrop of World War II. Um, it's just absolutely tremendous. If you liked Lincoln with Daniel Day-Lewis, which focused on just a couple weeks you know, in, in Lincoln's presidency, you will like uh, The Darkest Hour. I, I can't recommend it enough. Let's talk to Kimberly in Grafton. Kimberly, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Favorite movie of all time? Gone with the Wind. I ain't ever birthed no baby, Miss Scarlet. <laughs> <laughs> I, you, you know, th- that movie, again, just like To Kill a Mockingbird, that's become somewhat controversial because of its kind of romantic portrayal of the South. But I think those people are overthinking it. It's just a great story, and Clark Gable is so tremendous in that, as is Vivian Lee. Right. And I, just even the special effects that they used at that time, you know, for the, that oh, yeah. production, is, it, it still holds up today. Oh, yeah. I mean, right. I, no, thanks. And, you know, it, it's unfortunate because because it has sort of a romantic view, I guess, of, of the, you know, the antebellum South, uh, the pre-war South. You, you have some people are saying we shouldn't show this. This is offensive and all. It, it's just 
again, it's it's one of these. It is a classic movie that I think people, you know, it's too bad you can't just watch that as as a movie. Let's talk to Maria in Greenfield. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Hi. My all-time favorite movie is Basketball Diaries with Leonardo DiCaprio. It's a pretty old movie, but it's a reality of what's going on today um, with the drug usage where they start off as just a game, and they really get hooked on heroin, and it's just a big eye-opening. It's a tough movie to watch, but it's very, very well done. Yeah, mm-hmm. interesting. No, thank, thanks. I mean, it's a tough movie to watch, but uh, again, I, I would lump that into the category of something that's great. I, I mean, another—I don't see it on our list yet, but let me throw it out there. I mean, Schindler's List. I—I just—I can't. I watch movies over and over again. I've probably only seen that twice, but it's had such an impact on me because of just that the the subject matter. I think it's so very well done. Let's talk to John in Wauwatosa. John, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Uh, I was kind of partial to this thing with Robert Redford and Paul Newman. Oh, I love that movie. I watched that movie about a month ago. I love it. You know, it's that's one of those great movies that you, even if you know how it turns out, if you come back to it once a year or so, it's still entertaining to watch. Absolutely. It's got a little twist to it, and, you know, there's other characters in there that are, you know, really good actors. So, you know, it's just it's pleasant to watch. It's funny, kind of, you know. Oh, no, it is. I, I love it. Madeline Kahn is in there, and, um, oh, Robert Shaw, the guy from... Jaws, oh, just, you know, playing a role there. Tremendous. Jim and Racine. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Jim. Yes. Uh, I go back a long time. <laughs> High Noon's one of my favorites, and I also like A League of Their Own. Oh, I love, thanks. I mean, High Noon, arguably one of the, the classic westerns of all time with Gary Cooper, a league of their own. Oh, my goodness gracious. I, You know, especially the first half of it, you know, Tom Hanks, there's no crying in baseball. Nah, it just doesn't get much better than that. I'm with you. Noah in West Bend. Noah, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Love the show. Thank you. Uh, Boondock Saints I just with watched... Sean Patrick Flannery, Flannery and Norman Reedus. I just watched uh, that the other night, too, as a matter of fact. That, that's kind of a, that's that. another movie that's kind of a tough one to watch, but but it's very entertaining and very good. A little bit. I like that it poses the question, though, of, of how much do you care if some of the scum of the earth gets wiped away? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I no it, it does. It's, and, and again, a, a very tough, very gritty thing, but fun, to, but, but a very well-made movie. Tom in Watertown. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hello. i got to go with Cannery Row with... Uh, Nick uh, Nolte and Deborah Winger. I just I, this, I you'll think I do nothing but watch movies, but I, I that was on TV the other day. I watched that one as well. I hadn't seen that for a while. I love the Steinbeck book, Cannery Row, and the movie's a little bit different, but it's very well done. And and I I, I like Nick Nolte a lot. He's apparently kind of a character, but I like Nick Nolte. Me too, Jeff. Yeah, can, you know, Cannery Row. That's great. Um, let's talk to Schaefer in Mequon. Schaefer, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey. So. Uh, uh... This is one I haven't heard someone say, but we were soldiers uh, with um, uh, uh, Russell Crowe. No, not a Russell Crowe. Um, Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson. Yep. yep. I. Um, very sad, but you know. <laughs> oh no, no, Shaver, I will tell you. I think. I think that might be the best movie out of ever made about the Vietnam War, you know, and it's and it's of course it follows it's a true story. How more um, after I saw that movie, I was so moved by it that I went and I picked up the books it was based on. And what they do is they actually combine 
two battles into the, into one for the purpose of the movie. But um, it's just it's a it's a tough watch, but it's it's one of the best quote unquote more war movies, and I'd put it right up there with um, um, Patton for that. Jane in Milwaukee, Jane, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Okay, you've got an interesting one. Your your bet your best picture of all time. Harold and Maude. I can't tell you who started it. It was Ruth Gordon. Ruth Gordon played the lady, and um, okay. Bud Court played the guy. And this yeah. is all. See, I, I've got a witness. I, I'm doing this without the computer. It's Bud Court, and it was Ruth Gordon. Yep, who oh, did that? Yes, yes. <laughs> it was just great. It's all Cat Stevens tunes, right? And it's just they love to go to funerals. <laughs> yes. And he drove a horse, a hearse. Yep. And they met at a funeral, and they had illicit sex. Yeah, they, it, right, it, right. Ruth Gordon and, and he, Bud Court was like, it played a, a kid in the early 20s. Nope. It, actually, it, Harold and Maude, it's, it's definitely an acquired taste, but once I saw that up there, I had to take it. Okay, I'm sorry. We're kind of up against the clock. The Outlaw Josie Wales, Blazing Saddles, Slapstick, Longest Day. Yep. Big Terms of Endearment and lots more. You can check us out on Facebook Live. They rebroadcast the segment. Um, for me, I, I Casablanca. Nobody mentioned Casablanca. I'm sorry. You know, going on 70 years later, I think it still holds up pretty well. It's 255. This is Jeff Wagner. John McCure joins us from the road in just a minute.